We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores, the games every day. Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. Uh, this episode is being brought to you by Harry's Razors. Go to harrys.com backslash blue wire to get $3 off of your, your first order of razors. I am so excited. We have a special guest on this episode. This is someone who I've been following since my coaching days, who has been a huge part of my basketball education, and I'm so excited to have him on. He just did a 72-minute video, I believe, on Frank Vogel's playbooks from the Indiana Pacers and his Orlando days. And I watched all 72 of them minutes, and it was fantastic, and it was all laid out in alphabetical order by set, and it was beautiful. The one and only from Half Court Hoops, Coach Gibson Piper. Coach, it is so good to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate that uh, very kind intro. No, man, you, I'm, a, I'm your number one fan, man. I've been, this is super cool. And as soon as you released that, I squealed and, uh, and watched it right away and had my little notes in front of me and whatnot. Now, the nature of this type of podcast is, so in seeing plays, it's a very visual type of medium, right? This is how we normally would introduce this type of stuff. And we're limited in the, in the scope of a podcast to do that. There's also certain terminologies. You'll hear us talk about Chicago's and hammers and things like that, that I will do my best to try to clarify because for the sake of not talking over people's heads who aren't, aren't coaches as well. So we, what we want to do with this pod is go over that Vogel video and kind of discuss some big picture items so that you can come away from this podcast being like, okay, I have a better understanding of what to expect with Frank Vogel. So coach, in doing all of that research, you've got that extensive database going back for, for years. What are some of your overarching impressions of Frank Vogel's sets? The one thing that when as I was when you asked me to be on the podcast that I was thinking about that answer was it's going to be pretty similar to Luke Walton at times. Mm-hmm. And 
I think Laker fans are going to have to yeah. be okay. <laughs> Everybody just just uh, yelled at their at their yeah. <laughs> I hope they didn't close the podcast. Uh, stick with it; it'll be okay. <laughs> but in in the sense of a lot of what the NBA does is pretty similar to each other at times. So like you'll have the core plays or actions are all you know pretty much similar to what the other coach would do. A lot of what Vogel had in his plays and his sets, especially in Indiana, was the San Antonio Spurs influence of their motion strong and motion weak, which if you are unfamiliar with those, there are hundreds of videos on YouTube of them. I'm pretty sure you had a couple of, I think I watched a good one you had on motion week when the Lakers uh-huh. first took over. Yeah. And so that was kind of his base was that was, was what he ran a lot of in Indiana primarily because he didn't really have a, let's say a go-to playmaker mm-hmm. and good passers and decent players. But like Paul George was still figuring out who he was and he's still mm-hmm. really a great playmaker, you know, you know, David West, Roy Hibbert, those guys aren't playmakers. So he right. kind of in that free flowing type motion that worked pretty well in Indiana because they had a really good defense built off of that in Orlando. It, it was hit and miss. He did run a lot more motion week, but as like sets and counters. So that's what would be the uh, point guard passes to the wing and then cuts all the way through the opposite side. Mm-hmm. That kind of triggered maybe six to seven different plays and counters out of that after timeout specials. I think you were going to see a little bit more of like that type series. And we will see like the normal Spurs motion week or like a, a defined pattern motion. One of the things that I got just from going through your video and especially with the roster construction on both the Pacers and the Magic is Vogels had sort of two bigs as focal points of his offenses in in Indiana. David West was a key player, as well as was Roy Hibbert. And then with Orlando, he had Vucevic, and then also he had Serge Ibaka and, and Aaron Gordon as well. Last podcast, Pete and I spoke some about the Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins, LeBron James sort of being this hybrid player that can be sort of a big man and, and a guard as well. I was wondering what you take forward from the stuff that he did in Indiana and Orlando with sort of two big style offenses and and what that might look like for the Lakers. Yeah, I think one of the the most common things he'll run is probably Horns actions. Just thinking in, in my head of, of what I would do as well, using DeMarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis at the elbows uh, and also LeBron at the elbows when they put him at the four and go a little smaller, uh, even though Anthony Davis doesn't like it. He's going to have to do it anyways. And, and kind of play out of the elbows and have different counters from there. Big, and a big part of this is I think Jason Kidd's going to have some influence too. And he loved, was like obsessed with elbow sets, with, with getting <laughs> elbows. Yeah. Um, and and you, if you watch his playbook, basically everything starts with almost an elbow touch for somebody. And Frank Vogel did run a lot of that kind of elbow corner action where basically put the ball in the elbow and then have a certain action off of that. I think we're going to see a lot more horn sets initially with their their normal starting five, having you know, Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins handle at the elbows and different actions off of that. We'll probably see, in my opinion, the number one act. I'll call it right now, the first play of the year. They're going to throw the ball to Anthony Davis at the elbow and have LeBron duck into the post. He ran that action all the time for mm-hmm. Paul George and Aaron Gordon in Orlando. And I think we're going to see LeBron flash from the wing into that little post duck in. Uh, it's a hard action to guard and, and a pretty good action with this kind of roster construction around him. Now, regarding LeBron, one thing that I kept noticing from from watching the video is I can see, you know, they, 
Vogel ran a lot of cross screen type action that I could, it's very easy to picture AD getting or Boogie getting, you know, low post, you know, deep position on those. But often in his sets, I kept thinking like this was a really good offense in 2014 in terms of the stylistic changes and LeBron has really thrived in five out type of spacing and a lot of Vogel sets. There are a lot of screeners, right? There's a lot of bodies down in the paint. What are your thoughts on the ability to kind of, what can Vogel do to take advantage of LeBron's shot creation abilities? Because he didn't have that type of guy, like you said, in either Orlando or Indiana to be able to create space and driving lanes for those guys while not having all of those bodies in the paint, because that was a consistent problem last year under Luke Walton. Yeah, I think what we're going to see a lot more of is what the NBA terms delay series. Um, yes. Basically five out, it's just what they call it, basically passing the ball in the middle of the floor and then have screening action off of that, where you'll see LeBron either handle it at the top of the key or on one of the wings. But basically having a set, you just think of five out spacing. All it is just passing the ball from you know the wing to the middle of the floor. And that would be like a down screen or a back screen or a flare screen, you know, into a dribble handoff, into a ball screen. But that's probably going to be the the primary thing I think that they'll run with having LeBron kind of handle in smaller lineups. Mm-hmm. Just because he did run a little bit of that in Orlando, and so you can okay. see he kind of he kind of progressed, you know, from there. So I think he ran five sets with delay action in it. Not really anything complicated, but basically the first one was kind of swing the ball into a ball screen. Another one was like a flare screen. Another one was like a special. I think one was a special for Maurice Spates in Orlando for a flare screen. For the pick um, and pops, yeah. Yeah, I think I think we'll see some stuff like that with AD and LeBron. But just, just more action of getting the ball moving side to side with a little bit of down screens. But ultimately, when you're talking about LeBron, he can handle the ball anywhere and, and be able to make a play. But I think his best, the best way to utilize him is having him handle in the middle of the floor and then having those screening action off of him. It's interesting to me because there was this leak, you know, uh, within the last couple of weeks about LeBron playing point guard. Based off of what you've seen from Vogel's offenses, do you think that that would be optimizing LeBron as him being like the guy who's bringing the ball up and initiating offensive sets? Or would it make more sense to use him initially as an off-ball player in order to come back into position as sets are developing in front of him rather than the guy who's initiating them? I think... I, I think it won't matter because LeBron has developed this system where he will get the ball anyways and just <laughs> sure. walk it up and save his breath. He'll, he'll burn 10, 15 seconds off the shot clock just by controlling the pace and tempo and then run a ball screen or an action or whatever he wants to do. So ultimately, you know, we could say, I think it's a little bit, bit overblown to say LeBron's playing point guard. That will, that will never be his, his mindset or his mentality. You're not going to see him bring the ball to court running a drag screen in transition. Or, <laughs> right. Crazy. But he, he will get the ball, you know, after a made basket, he'll get the ball and bring it up and he'll be the point guard in that scenario. When, when people think of point guards, we think of like Chris Paul and Steph Curry and, you know, James Harden now where they're controlling it and, and, and calling plays and doing all that. And LeBron's done that his whole career anyways. So you can call it whatever you want. You can call it point center, point four. And LeBron's going to have the ball in his hand a lot because he's so good at controlling the game. And he's so intelligent that if you're a coach, you want to encourage that. You know, you don't want LeBron not to want the ball. The One, one of the areas that I think is going to be interesting, though, is off the ball, what's LeBron's mentality? Because he's getting older, 
you know, you're not going to see him be be a tremendous cutter anymore. I mean, it's, it's just it's too taxing during the regular season to see that consistently. So using him maybe as a screener or posting him up more, I think we'll see more of that action versus kind of LeBron moving around, you know, like an off ball movement. Yeah, there are a lot of those like three down type of sets that they got into that a, a few different variations. And basically, three down is just a, a way of posting up your your small forward, right? And there's a cross screen usually that will happen in that and some ball reversal with the goal of establishing deep position on that. So there are some good like, you know, LeBron posting up sets that I saw in, in your video. One guy that I'm very curious about that stood out in a lot of the actions that he ran were very off-screen shooter-centric. They were kind of the first option on these plays. He did it for Paul George and then probably to, a you know, not quite as effective of a degree with Evan Fournier got a lot of those looks in Orlando, at least from the, the video that you made. Where does Danny Green fit into what Vogel does? Because in a lot of ways, I feel like your set plays are very contingent upon how much of a threat your shooter is coming off of screens. Yeah, for sure. And I think we're going to see, like you're talking about, those actions for Danny Green and even Contavious Caldwell-Pope, you know, to mm. an extent. I think mm-hmm. he's pretty solid at coming off of screens, in my opinion. But the problem is Danny Green really, like, when you watch him in the last year especially, when he comes off the screen, there's just not the same acceleration. You know, he's just older. He's just not he's gonna have, not going to have the same kind of, I guess, ability to come off and catch and shoot as quick as he normally would. He's probably more best served to be used as a ball screener for LeBron. I think we're going to see a lot more of that because yes. LeBron loved to do that. But I think we're going to still see. So like last year, Luke Walton would run those quick pin downs and quick stagger screens for you know KCP. Mm-hmm. It's the same. It's the same action that Frank Vogel ran. It's just it's just a different player. Right. Uh, so I think we're going to see you know the the similar kind of quick hitters. You know, kind of that a quick pin down or, or a quick stagger strong action. Our double screen off the ball for Danny Green. I think that's normal. I think we'll see that for you know all the shooters and just maybe even just get the offense moving initially. How how are Vogel's teams at the counters to those type of plays? Because that was one thing that stood out to me. There was not a lot of you know you know, somebody locking and trailing and then, you know, somebody slipping a a screen or something like that. And there was, things were kind of stagnant on the weak side. That was something that I noticed, but I didn't, I have not dug into the tape to the extent that you have. What are your impression of like the counters in those, those type of actions? Yeah, the hard, I mean, the hard part in Orlando is teams weren't very good. So like the counters, even if they, they read it right. I mean, they still aren't very talented compared to their opponents, you know? So it's like, it's really difficult to see, what his vision was like after the first action failed just because the the second and third action would usually fail as well as well. <laughs> sure. And then sure. It would just go to a spread ball screen or, you know, a high pick and roll, uh-huh. uh, which is what most of the NBA does. Uh, so it's a little bit difficult in Indiana. Obviously it was a little bit, a little bit more motion based. So it was a little more you know triggering based on those reads and a little bit, a little bit more talent to do that. But in Orlando it was hard to, to kind of get a feel for that exact. One of the things that was interesting to me as I watched your video and, and sort of saw all of the different types of actions were all of the different influences that Vogel seemed to have within his offense, right? So you had talked about motion week earlier, but I saw some triangle action as well. And I actually think that this roster would be interesting with some of those actions, especially with the post players that the Lakers could could have and, and the passing ability that those post players have as well. Vogel had mentioned that Phil Jackson was sort of an influence on 
on his coaching, but more from a coaching demeanor standpoint. But did you see any of that influence source sort of come out in his playbook as well? And and if so, do you see any of that being applicable to this Lakers roster? It would be tough to, I think, sell LeBron on that, in my opinion, just because LeBron, I mean, I'm a Cavs fan, just for clarification. I've watched LeBron <laughs> obsessively for the past, you know, four years and then before that. So, like, you you have this great idea in theory of, like, what an offense could be around him. But the only real actualization of that has been in Miami when he was in his prime and he was willing to do that and they had the personnel to do that. In Cleveland, they just put shooters around him, and that was the system, and that was perfect because he had a sidekick in Kyrie who could score when he didn't want to. And then, so it's like getting, you know, this LeBron to run that system would probably be a little bit harder of a sell uh, just because, I mean, I'm not, I'm not an expert on the triangle, but a lot of it is, is focused on reversing the ball and reads and counters and, and, and playing out of the elbows like that. But I don't, I just think it would be a hard thing to do at, at this juncture of LeBron's career. And all of this that we're talking about applies to that as well. Like it could be a great playbook and, and Vogel could be, you know, a genius now and he could have studied and learned a lot. Uh, but at the end of the day, when LeBron's on your team, you just kind of give him the ball most of the time and get out of the way. So this is great stuff. I did not know that you were a Cavs fan. So we're going to take a quick little break and I've got some LeBron questions for you when we come back on the other end of it. But in the meantime, go to harrys.com backslash blue wire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You get all of that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's is fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with a quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com backslash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and you'll get a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com backslash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. And that's the first time I've ever gotten through that ad read without making my mistake i had to play it up for coach you, you know you gotta impress the coach so uh i am so freaking fired up right now sasha's not gonna have to chop that up all right uh <laughs> so lebron there is a narrative that is i think true to some extent that lebron has a habit of relegating talented big guys into being spot-up shooters chris bosh and kevin love do you buy into that and if so to whatever degree how do the lakers avoid doing that with demarcus with anthony davis and to a lesser extent demarcus cousins it for sure is true and there's nothing wrong with it and i think it's going to happen this year interesting <laughs> i mean it's just that's just in in my opinion when you when you have somebody like lebron now it may be different this year let me backtrack a little bit because i'm thinking about that more it may be different this year because he'll be more willing to let Anthony Davis do his thing. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think DeMarcus Cousins, I think DeMarcus Cousins is going to struggle the first month of the season, two months of the season, just to get back in game shape and, and playing shape and, you know, trying to get back to who he was and fit in with this team. So mm -hmm. I think that's going to, in LeBron, when he's, when he's looking, he's always analyzing, figuring out what you can do right now. And as soon as he sees that, and if he struggles, you know, a couple of weeks or whatever, I think LeBron will just kind of, 
brushed out to the side and take it take over a little more. But I think at, at this point, LeBron wants to probably give some of that control up, uh, mm-hmm. at least regular season. But I think in the playoffs is when you'll see him take over more and, and have those guys spot up more often than not and, and kind of take over just because he's not, it's not a negative. Like people mm-hmm. are, are making it a lot of times they like to make it seem like LeBron is telling Kevin Love to get in the corner. He doesn't want to talk to him anymore. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. like that's not, that's not how that works. What he's doing is he's creating space for him to operate. That's all it is. Yeah. It's, it's, and he may not like him. I don't really know. I don't really care. But in the game of basketball, <laughs> if you're the best player, you want to operate in space. You know, I, I always use this analogy with my, my team is like, if, you, if you're a wide receiver in football, you have to run your route every time like you're going to catch the ball. You just have to because you're going to maybe occupy the defense more. Well, it's the same thing in basketball. You have to be ready to catch and shoot. You have to sprint to your space. You have to cut like you're going to score every time. You have to do those things so LeBron can go score a layup. And LeBron scores 30, has 30, 15, and 12, and is an MVP candidate, and you don't look as good as you once were because you are standing in the, in the corner. So it's like, can you live with that? Yeah, because you're probably going to be in championship contention if you can just do your job. My argument, so this is my pro, you know, Laker fan. We just acquired this guy, and I want to see the optimistic in it. it. The argument that I've had against that, and I'm curious on your thoughts about this, is that AD is the first guy that he's had that's been both a vertical threat off of ball screens and a pick and pop type of option. He's okay at pick and pop. He's not great, but he's at least you have to respect his abilities from there. Whereas guys like Bosch, like Bosch was not as, you know, Bosch was more of a give him the ball on the elbow in Toronto, right? And let him go to work on ball. He was less of a, of a role threat as was the case with Love in Minnesota. Again, this is me as a, an optimistic Laker fan is, is AD's ability to be a Tristan Thompson, Kevin Love hybrid in that respect. Does that even with him as the second option, whereas those guys were kind of the third option type of guys, does that help mitigate that? Or does do you still think that that is kind of the natural inclination of, of LeBron is to spread the floor in that way? And like you said, it's not necessarily a bad thing, that just that being the result, even with AD's increased versatility over those guys. Yeah, I think I think that is is a great optimistic view to have. And I'm really proud <laughs> for having that because yeah. it's not going to be that way. Fair um, It'll be it'll be AD lob roll to the basket and he, he'll dunk on somebody and then the next time they switch the ball screen. That and that's then, my biggest worry is the, is yeah. switching and then, against and then teams. and then what do you do? You either dump it to AD in the post or LeBron's ISO one on one. Where does AD go? Where does Demarcus Cousins go? Right. You know it's and so it's like I I don't have any charting of this or anything. It'd be interesting to look at just to see like how many times they they. They got Kevin Love in a, in a switch, and he went and stood in the corner versus post up, or you know, Bosch, or just maybe there's some interesting to look at because it's not always by like LeBron rushing them into the corner. Sometimes the game forces you to do that. So you know, that's that's the only thing. If I'm an opposing coach, I say, hey, you know, we'll drop the first, you know, whatever, we'll drop on this ball screen coverage again. LeBron and AD make them make a mid mid range jumper. You know, don't give up a roll. The second or third dunk or LeBron three, you just start switching it. That's what that's what the scouting report in my mind would be. And when you play the best teams, they're just going to switch it. In the playoffs, they're just going to switch it. So what do you do then? 
I'm hoping the Lakers have a certain degree of overwhelming size. Again, this is the optimist point of view, but there's a lot of there's a lot of ability to beat switches in the front court. I'm curious to see if you can do that in 2019, 2020. But with Boogie, AD, AD was very good last year, and in the tape that I've watched of taking advantage of those mismatches when he had them, there was less reason to switch. But I, I do think he's he's capable. Uh, th- that there's their front court is capable of doing some damage against those switches. But again, I, I do have those concerns. Switching is probably my biggest concern with this roster. Yeah, I think that's it's just ultimately what's going to happen. I mean, especially you're going to come up, come across an opponent like, let's say you play the Warriors. Draymond can switch. You play the Rockets. They're going to switch everything this year. I mean, that you're going to come across somebody that's just going to switch everything against you in the playoffs. And it's like, what what do you do then? And good good news is you have LeBron. Bad news is. AD and DeMarcus Cousins might not look as good. One of the things, so we're talking about switching a lot and LeBron being the primary ball handler a lot. And, and I'm 100% in agreement actually with with sort of how you see some some of this developing, not necessarily from a pessimistic standpoint, but, but because I think LeBron is still good enough to beat defenses the exact way that you're talking about it playing out. I'm also in, interested, though, in in your thoughts on Anthony Davis and his ability to beat defenses like his own man and some of what you see of LeBron and his willingness to sort of play the same role that you were talking about AD playing for LeBron to sort of create space and be somewhat of, of an off-ball threat as a three-point shooter, which he's improved at greatly over the second half of his career, and let Anthony Davis go to work against power forwards and centers, um, his own man, right, before switches. Because some of the things I saw from the video that, that you did was Vogel sort of creating a lot of action to create isolation for his big man. And, and I'm wondering how you see that working on the other side of the coin to sort of get Davis going. Yeah, I think I think they'll do that a lot, especially because he's the second fiddle right now. You know, like the Bond's gonna be the main guy, but AD is gonna have to do some scoring and some playmaking as well. In Cleveland, they actually posted up every single game. They started with a Kevin Love post up. You know, they 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 would always try to throw him the ball as early as possible. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens with AD too. Um, one of the things I think we'll see more of is getting a couple of those smaller guards to set those cross screens and down screens for him to get him coming off going downhill. And then they can't switch it because that's an automatic mismatch and then have LeBron space in the corner. The problem that is going to arise eventually uh, with, with that is going to be LeBron when he catches the ball in the corner, is he going to be a shooter or a driver this year? You know, like, cause it's, some years he's a driver. You know, you just don't know what you're going to get because he might be struggling to shoot the ball a little bit. It's going to be where a scouting report will say LeBron's not going to want to cut as much off the ball. That might be the automatic trap guy. And if that's where the automatic trap's coming from, you're basically banking on the weakest three-point shooter in LeBron on the floor and allowing him to maybe catch and shoot or contest that catch and, sh- catch and shoot opportunity. That's one of the main issues I think that could come around. Now, if they play two bigs, that's going to jam up a little bit of space. Yeah. So then the automatic trap guy might be DeMarcus Cousins, and you're making him shoot it, um, which is why I think in all this conversation, we're going to see less two big lineups than we anticipate. I, I 100% on that, because I, I don't think that that trio, for all of these reasons that you're mentioning is going to be part of the Lakers best five even if they are 
all you know amongst the Lakers best five players just the spacing of Boogie AD and LeBron can definitely be problematic and yeah their coaches are going to be banking on you know will be helping off of especially Boogie if he's on the perimeter AD I think you have to respect to a certain degree but he said just yesterday clear as day like I don't like playing the five and I'll I'll do it if I have to but I do think that's where the Lakers best lineups are going to be coach I wanted to bring it back to to the playbook a little bit what are your thoughts on uh, Frank Vogel's ATOs? For listeners, ATOs are after timeout plays. This is one of the places where coaches get to be most schematically heavy in the situations coming out of timeouts and and dead ball type of situations. What are, what are your thoughts on Vogel in there? I think, he's, I think he's good. I mean, he's solid. He, he's not – nothing really blew me away. You know, I've pretty much seen every set almost. Let's see. I'm trying to think. I, there was probably two or three sets that I hadn't seen before which, I mean, that's not a great ratio considering I watched like six years of film. That's not, that's not awesome. And and a lot of his after timeouts from Indiana did carry over to Orlando, which is an interesting choice. I, I just think maybe just because of talent, it just was easier for him to run the same stuff he'd been running. One of the things I did like though, was you could see a little bit of evolution in his after timeout sets. So in Indiana, he ran a, uh, a horn set into a pin down into a dribble handoff, which we call Horn Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in Indiana, that was just a normal handoff for Paul George. And then in Orlando, they ran that same action, but into Spain action. Yeah, that was, I have that written down. The Horns Flex, Chicago, Spain. That was a beautiful play. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was one of the great plays where I, I was watching it. And, you know, I, I watch a lot of films, so I don't always get too excited when I watch film because I've seen a lot of it. But like when I saw that, I was like, Yes. Like yeah. Yes. No, that was I did the same thing. I have it written down right in front of me. It was my favorite play. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So that was a good thing to see where like he's using and for those that are listening, Spain is uh just what I term a uh, a ball screen and then a guard is setting a back screen on the big who is guarding the ball screen. It probably sounds confusing if you look it up on my YouTube. It, it's there's a lot of examples of that. It'll make it a little more clear, but essentially it causes a lot of confusion. Because there's not really anybody to tag the role man. You're setting a back screen on the big who's guarding a ball screen. So he's preoccupied guarding a ball screen, not worried about the back screen. Yeah. Uh, it's just a really tough action to guard that. I mean, it's run by everybody now and, and it mm-hmm. started over in Europe. And and so that was great to see You know, him kind of develop those newer kind of plays, I guess, if you want to call it that. Some of the newer actions. So that was cool. But I mean, there wasn't a ton of variety and as I'm, I'm even looking through the list right now, there's a lot of similar plays that most most NBA teams are running them right now. I actually wanted to get back to a player that we haven't mentioned yet because he sort of reminds me of he's not as good as Paul George and he might be a little bit closer to like an Aaron Gordon type the way at least that Vogel used him. But, but Kyle Kuzma, I feel like, is an interesting player based off of the types of sets that Vogels run and how he might fit into them as sort of that hybrid forward who is good on the move, he can come off screen some, he can post up some. Do you see him based off of his skill set and what you know of Kuzma and what Vogel likes likes to run as maybe being a pretty important player? for how the Lakers and Vogel may want to run offense this season? Important in the sense of him setting ball screens, yeah. Expl- explain that if you would, Coach. Uh, yeah, I'll go in a little more detail. So 
what what LeBron will do is basically find the mismatch. And if you look at, you know, I don't who would be the fifth guy. Let's say we throw out LeBron, Kuzma, AD, and DeMarcus Cousins, and let's say I don't know KCP. Danny right? Green, yeah, or yeah, Danny yeah, Green. yeah, just another shooter, right? I'm just thinking a random lineup in the middle of a game. In that lineup, who is the worst defender going to be on? Probably Kuzma, right? So then LeBron sees that, you know, and 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 calls him over for a ball screen, tries to get a switch, get a mismatch. If Kuzma can run a ball screen with LeBron, that brings the Lakers to a whole nother level because that's what LeBron's done for the past five years, past six years. He's so used to just finding the weakest guy and bringing him into a ball screen. So that's where, and even Danny Green, you know, KCP, Avery Bradley, those type of guys are going to have to understand what LeBron's looking for in the pick and pop situations, getting those guards in the ball screens. Now, I think, you know, in, in my opinion, I think Kyle Kuzma is going to have a really hard time this year. He, he is going to be, at times, the fifth option on the floor. Can he be patient enough and become a really good spot-up shooter to where he's just focusing on catching and, sh- catch and shoot opportunities? I don't know. I got to be honest, I, did not, I have not studied him as obsessively as other players. I just have a feeling that mentally, at, at, at where he is right now, mentally that's a really hard thing to do. Danny Green can do it. Jared Dudley can do it. Avery Bradley can probably do it. You know, those guys have all kind of been around ball dominant players at times. So they can kind of relax a little bit and be and, and be ready for their opportunity. But I think Kuzma, you know, coming off of some of those those stagger screens and, and pin down screens, if he can if he can learn how to use those, then LeBron has an easier time getting him the ball. But if not, we're gonna see more ball screens in my opinion. Yeah, no, that's that's something I've been thinking as well um, regarding Kuz. I, I think Kuz, you mentioned about about Boogie being somebody who might struggle at the beginning of the year. From speaking to from speaking to Vogel and from hearing what Boogie has had to say, I don't I don't think Boogie's going to start out in the starting lineup. Uh, and I I actually think. Kuz is the guy that I think is going to have that adjustment period that you were talking about early on. Boogie may still have that coming off of the bench, but I do think that, you know, Kuz is coming from a two seasons where he was like one of the biggest issues he had was shot selection, right? We're just letting shots fly as really the only credible scoring option next to LeBron that could, that could operate off of the ball. Ingram had some on ball ability, but Kuz did a lot of his work as a cutter coming off of screens. He, he shot the ball very poorly last year, but he operates more off of the ball and him and LeBron had a good chemistry together, but he was, he might not be LeBron's right-hand man. In fact, it's very, very unlikely with Anthony Davis out there that that will be the case. So I'm very curious to see how Kuz adjusts to that. From a from an overall team type of standpoint, I and actually let's let's go in this direction. I'm curious on your thoughts because again, through watching much of your video, one of the things that kept coming up was like this is very 2014 style of offense, which is not a pejorative when it was Indiana and it was in 2014. I thought that. In Orlando, I thought part of it was talent for sure, but I thought part of it was kind of, I don't want to say antiquated concepts, but the game's changed a lot over the last five years. And and I'm curious in all of the tape, you've been doing this for a long time. What are the things that you notice most um, from a schematic standpoint of how is the game different from just say five years ago versus today? I think the, uh, the number one thing is just the, the understanding of what shots are more valuable. Yeah. Uh, I think that, that's a huge, huge part of it, just because, you know, you're going to see teams are not running 
like the Warriors offense. They're not running you know, the Raptors offense. They're not running a pace and space style, but they're still seeking out shots that are high, you know, higher in value. So obviously the, the least valuable right now is that that longer mid range. So that's why you see a lot of teams are going to drop ball screen coverage to counter that. And I think the biggest problem with, you know, some, some of like, like this, this team construction here is actually not that bad because I'm not looking around and seeing like, who's going to take a lot of longer long twos. Mm -hmm. So when, when you're building an offense, especially in the NBA is you're basically trying to create layups and corner threes. That's, that's the main goal is, is, is in in today's NBA, you know, in, in, in the league, how you do that is very, very different than when you did, you know, five years ago, five years ago, it was like, you know, come down and just throw the ball in the post and hopefully they double or hopefully <laughs> you can, you can, you know, score. Well, now it's, it's still throw the ball in the post at times, but then it's run a split cut, run a flare, you know, run slips, run cutters off of that. It's a lot more off ball movement and a lot more, you know, side to side movement overall. The biggest thing is there's multiple ways to win basketball games in, in the NBA, especially. I mean, you look at just the Rockets versus the Warriors could not be two more contrasting styles. And even the Clippers and the Warriors still very contrasting. You know, the Clippers run the most ball screens. The Warriors don't. So it's it's all about how you're going to get your team to buy into that vision, whatever the vision is. And so. Five years ago, it was more simple, as in the ISOs would end up in twos. This, in 2019, the ISOs end up in threes. So it's just understanding of where the best shots are and how to get those in, in, in today's more analytically driven NBA. Well, Coach, this was amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Can you tell our listeners where they can find your amazing work that I've been following for years and years and uh, just, yeah, pr- promote whatever you got, my man. <laughs> All right, for sure. Um, the easiest is Twitter uh, at half court hoops. Um, I'm on there every day. I'm, I'm usually available every day. If you want to chat and hit me up and then I have YouTube that's also half court hoops. And then I have my website, uh, the basketballplaybook.com because halfcourthoops.com was not available, so I had to switch that up. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's basically on there, I have in the basketball playbook, I have a lot of actual playbooks for sale. I have my membership stuff, and then I have all of the plays on there organized as well for a little bit easier viewing. Uh, YouTube, I mean, I have you know 1,200 videos on there, so it's a little bit harder to navigate. But if you're looking for any more information or any any basketball talk, uh, have Twitter, Half Court Hoops is the best way to contact me. Yeah, if you're coaching youth league or high school or just want to learn more about the game and provide coverage, you know, similar to how, you know, I've done with LFR and Darius has done with Form Blue and Gold and just like a deeper knowledge set, he's half court hoops is absolutely invaluable to your basketball education. So please check him out. Coach, thank you so much for coming on. You guys have been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast, and we will catch you next time. I think that is a cosmetic call, baby. Okay, kid, you're all right, my book. <laughs> Will you get these idiots out of here? Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? 
What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.